one knows as to why you can do a podcast but not do a phone call. Maybe it's because it's just Adrian. I couldn't do this with them though. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe it's just with me. I, am I that special? Yes, Adrian. Of course you're that special. Oh, okay. Just you're making the most sure. Special, most special person who doesn't live in this house. You and my mom. Wait, am I above your mom? I said you and my mom. You're tied. Oh, we're tied. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's just because you have a kick-ass mom. Yeah, mom's pretty cool, so. Your mom is pretty cool. But tomorrow night, we gotta watch The Crow, because it's Devil's Night. I've never seen The Crow. Oh, you're missing out. He's amazing. I'm in love with him. If he weren't dead, I'd marry him. (laughs) Don't worry, that's not a spoiler. He dies in the first, like, five minutes of the movie. Oh, okay, well, great. (laughs) You know, a show kind of like Game of Thrones, where everyone fucking dies. That, That was the character I was referencing. But yes, the actor did die in the making of the film as well. What? No. He got uh, shot with a prop gun. Like, they were doing something with the prop gun, and, like, something went wrong, and it actually fired and hit him and killed him. No. That's got to be made up. Yeah. So, basically, there was, like, they were using that gun to fire some real shots because for, like, a different scene that wasn't being fired at him. And so they fired some, and then the guy who was working on the gun the like switch shifts so he went home and a new guy came in and didn't check it for the other bullets and put in blank and yeah it was like an indie film and so they went to go do the scene where it was supposed to be blank and the guy who was shooting at him accidentally shot the actor and he died oh my god yeah that's the thing great movie though okay so here's the real question did he forget to put in blanks or was it a murder he forgot he feels pretty bad about it it wasn't a murder I promise. Dude's pretty messed up about it. There's a couple of people involved in that who all feel not so great that Brandon Lee is dead. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Um, okay, this is on, and I'm, I'm sorry, again, if I butcher people's names, because I probably will every single time. Okay, it's on Tina Gallows and Gabrielle Di Stefano. Okay, you so they say it like Italian. It's like De Stefano. Well, there you go. <laughs> you gotta pretend like you're, like, just be that ethnicity. They're both here in Utah, though. So do they say it Stefano or Stefano? I don't know. That depends on how long their family's been in the country. Fair enough. Now, it's on both of them because I didn't have a lot of information on Tina Gallows, but they think that they have the same killer. Ooh, okay. Tina's first name is actually Joyce, but she goes by her middle name. So, no. She was 21 years old and she was last seen on August 11th, 1982. Um, I did find a few photos of her and testimony from her friends to the police, but I didn't find a whole lot of other information on that on her, but I'll post it on our website and we post it on social media and stuff. So Tina and Gabriella were seen last seen. Okay. So this is two different times, two totally different occasions, but they were both last seen in a candy apple Chevy Impala before their deaths. Shortly after their murders, this Impala was allegedly repainted to be white. Okay, so how do they, if they knew it was repainted white, why didn't they know where it was? So I've had this question too, because there is a Facebook group for both of them. And apparently uh, the private investigator claimed that he has tracked it down and it has been turned white. And he found, so apparently the private investigator has tracked 
down to, it isn't tracked down to the original owner, but it was tracked down to two owners ago. And they claimed that it had been painted white at that time. And, but it's been recently resold after that. And I don't know who it was sold to. I'm a little confused on how, okay, if you know, you know, if you know this information, why couldn't you figure that out? I don't know. And maybe it was sold under, you know, a, a different type of title or something. It still should have the same VIN number. I don't know. Right? So I'm a little confused on that. But they are claiming that it was repainted. And this is a candy apple, like Chevy Impala, that's like one of those classic cars. So if you're a car enthusiast, you don't go ahead and paint a red Impala white. I wouldn't know that part. I'm not a car enthusiast, but I'll take your word for that. I'm not a huge car enthusiast, but, you know, from reading everything and all the comments and yeah, like when you are into old cars and everything like that, that's a classic car. The classic car should have a cool paint job. Oh, hi, kitty. You can hear him. Yes. Sparrow is very like up on me right now. (laughs) So the sheriff's office said that Tina's body was found floating in the Ogden River on August 22nd, 11 days after she went missing, and she had two gunshot wounds in her head. Oh, okay. Four days later, 14-year-old Gabrielle Stefano disappeared. Jeez, only 14. Yes, and she was also found with two gunshot wounds in her head as well. Okay. So... The police have found the gun, so the gunshot, the, I don't know what the, what is it? The casing, the gun, the bullet, the bullet. Shell? Anyway, well, the bullets were both in their heads. They were able to take them out and recently they were able to compare them and found out that it was shot by the same gun. Okay. So this is why they think that they are indeed connected and there might actually be a serial killer that is still out there. <gasps> Because they've been able to connect these two, they might be able to connect more. Fully, all this new technology that we have now that we didn't have back then will help lead to some answers. Yeah. So on August 15th, 1982, Tina was last seen in a car at the Paramount Theater in Ogden with a group of people, including two men, according to the affidavit police report. And the group went to a party in Riverdale. Okay. The witness who was with the group claimed Tina left the party with one of the men. And she claimed she also saw a handgun in the glove box of this Chevy Impala. Okay. I mean, th- this is like, this is all I basically have. I don't know who this witness was. It was just in the witness statement from the police. Jeez. So Tina was allegedly dating a man that she also left with a parting, according to the warrant. Another witness said two of them were having an argument. Okay. That man was interviewed by police in 1984. He denied dating or even seeing Tina at the time. Okay. And how old was this don't man? Know. We don't even know who he is. Isn't she like little? Yeah. 14. Jeez. Yeah, she is 14. So we don't know who he is. Uh, and did this alleged ex-boyfriend own their red Impala? And did he somehow know Tina? Could there be a link in their disappearance? They believe, as of right now, that they might have known the same acquaintances. Okay. So I don't know the name of the ex-boyfriend, but it was stated that he is now living in Texas on parole. And police recently within, in, in 2017, went to go question him. Okay. 
No person of interest has been named yet in this investigation. While detectives don't believe Tina and Gabriella knew each other, they have common acquaintances. They ran in the same type of circles, which is strange to me that a 14-year-old and a 21-year-old are running in the same circles. Well, okay, I have to ask, is their circles gang-related? Because this sounds like it could be some gang stuff going on to me. Cowboy gangs? Cowboy gangs. I don't... Cowboy gangs view You know, I don't know. I mean, I don't... I don't know. I mean, it doesn't say that they were doing any drugs. It doesn't say there was drugs in their systems. It doesn't say anything. So on September 22nd, there was an arrest made by an under and an undercover cop named Frank Gailey, which I don't trust him just because never trust people. Exactly. Never. No one named Frank will ever listen to this podcast, but I don't trust him anyway. never. He testified that Robert confessed to him on August 12th that he shot Tina and dumped her body in the Ogden River. And he's had two felony charges before this. So I did some digging and that's what I do. So Frank, the undercover cop who claimed that Robert and Ness confessed to him while he was, and while he was undercover, here's the thing, all the charges were dropped after he had a solid alibi in California. You want to know what a solid alibi was? Oh, goodness. No, he was in prison. Oh, okay. Well, solid alibi. That's that's hard to argue. Exactly. So I did some digging on his case. It's, it's a doozy. Okay, Okay. So the case against Robert was, of course, dismissed and there was no trial that was ever concluded according to his solid alibi. I mean, during the murder, he was in jail. So here's a question, though. Why would an undercover cop lie about Robert's confession? Was it to, you know, boost his job mentality? Or could he be the murderer? If he was... He might be the murderer. Exactly. If he's an undercover cop, like you said, and if if maybe they were in a drug ring or gang or something, he could have known both of these girls. All right. So I'm going to make reference to some fiction here. And huge, huge spoiler alerts going on. But it just makes me think of like 13 Reasons Why, mm-hmm. where, you know, things are not always black and white for that oh. show. But the cops, definitely, some of them knew more yep. than will ever be exactly. stated to the public. Exactly. And so I wonder, I mean, that has to be based off some truths. Yeah, exactly. So, and then I don't mean to go off of the girls here, Tina and Gabriella, but I went digging and I did some more digging on um, Robert's felony charges. And it's oh, such a heart wrenching story. But, you know, I kind of got tied into it with all this. So here we go with this one. On Christmas okay. Day, he was driving his two children, 11 year old girl and a 12 year old boy, to their mother's house for Christmas. His vehicle got stuck in the snow, and the kids insisted on seeing their mother begged him to see their mother on Christmas saying they really wanted to see her and he didn't want to keep them from him. So he bundled them up in coats and told them they could start walking to her house and he would call her once he got into his vehicle, his vehicle unstuck to go meet up with the children. The vehicle became stuck in the snowdrift along West Magical Road, less than a mile from Idaho Highway 75 turnoff, according to the Blaine County Sheriff's Office. Children started walking, according to her uncle, who was the passenger, at 9.30 from 10 a.m. So an hour had been um, since the vehicle got stuck. So and then, well, half hour to an hour, then the kids decided, okay, we're going to go ahead and start walking to our mom's 
And from 10 to 11, the vehicle became unstuck. Um, from 11 to 12, the dad calls the mother and tells them to go get in the car and meet up with her, her kids. So they've been walking for at least an hour. Why would you go out in the white death? Why would you do that? Well, okay. I get it. I get it to some point because they, they're divorced. They have a custody agreement. And you have two kids that are begging to go see their mom. You have two kids begging to see your mom and you're, and you're like, you know what? As soon as I get this unstuck, I will call your mom and your mom will meet you halfway. Yeah. I get it too. I wouldn't, I would have been like, no, but at the same time, you've got, you've got this guilt that this dad is feeling that I want my kids to be able to, you know, be with their mom on Christmas. And it also might be a court agreement. And what year is this? 80 something? It is 1982. No, they were both in 82. It's a ways back. Like, it's not cell phones. Like, he obviously had to go to his house to call her, you know? Yeah. So, he calls her, calls the mom, and the mom agrees to go meet up with the children. 2 p.m., the children's mother calls Robert, saying the kids haven't arrived. And the mother claimed that Robert never told her to meet up with the children. She's like, I don't even have a vehicle. Okay, I feel like the children would know that. Right? I, I feel like the children would have known that too. If you're like, oh, well, your mom will come and pick you up. Why wouldn't they say, like, well, mom doesn't have a car? If they're old enough to like be out walking. They're 11 and 12. Own, they're old enough to know they don't have a car. Exactly. That's what I think too. And the thing is, is Robert and the uncle who was with him claimed that they called her from 11 to 12, sometime in between 11 and 12. Called her from where? From his house. So the vehicle, so they went down, they were going down the highway and the vehicle got stuck Mm -hmm. and they were able to get it unstuck from 10 to 11. And they claimed they went back to the house from 11 to 12 and they called the mom to tell him to meet up with the kids. So why didn't, once the car was unstuck, they go find the kids themselves. I, I don't know. I mean, that's another, I don't know. Isn't that a little weird? Yes, it is. But I mean, if you think, if you call the mother and you're like, okay, what if they're already like halfway to your house or whatever? Can you just go pick them up? So if they think that the mom is on the way, then why would they need to? Because they haven't called the mom yet. Well, they did. They claim that they called the mom at 11 to 12. But still, in order to call the mom, they had to get back somewhere, which means the car was already unstuck. Fair point. <laughs> yes, but I mean, fair point. But it's still, it's like, okay, if if Robert did call the mother, and then why why did it take the mother until two to call them back? I don't know. Like, obviously, she knew that they were out there. It's awful. It's awful all around. I think both sides have, you know, blame in this. It's awful. <sighs> This is just like... So this is even worse. It's not until... The hole just keeps getting deeper. Yeah. It's not until 7 p.m. that they call the police. Okay. Saying the kids are missing. So were they at least driving around looking for them by this point? I think so. It okay. doesn't say for 100%. But they don't call the police until 7 p.m. Okay, the kids have been out there since 10. And it's snowing. And it's on Idaho. The deputy and a snowplow head out to look for the kids. But they became too stuck. After hitting a snowdrift, and they ended up sliding off the road. The deputy. Oh, the deputy did. Fantastic. Yep. So there was a search and rescue crew, including helicopters, by eight thirty. They were looking up up and down the highway there, and then a vehicle and two snowmobile teams were going up and down. <sighs> okay. Okay. Nine fifty. Children are found. Oh God. Okay. The male um, child was found um, in 
a bathroom near an intersection on the road 4.5 miles from where he originally started walking. He had hypothermia, was only wearing his underwear, and discarded his jacket, pants, and shoes. What? Yes. 4.5 miles from where he originally started. Can someone explain any of that to me? Why he was walking 4.5 miles or, or the hyperthermia? Why he wasn't wearing clothes. Because when you have hyperthermia, that's what you do. You start shutting off your clothing to try to keep warm. Because body heat against body heat is better than clothes against clothes. That's why, um, so if you're out camping or whatever, it's actually better for you to get in the same sleeping bag with someone and shed all your clothes to keep warm. I mean, I've heard that, but I still feel like clothes have to be better than just being naked. Well, not with hyperthermia. I mean, you, but it's kind of like, it's neat. And like, that's what you kind of do. I don't know the whole logistics on it. We can look it up, but yeah. Like I know for a fact that it's when you hit hypothermia, that's what you start doing. You start like undressing yourself. Like it's like what you end up doing. So 10, 20 PM search dogs are deployed and looking for the female. Uh, The plan was to search from anywhere from where Robert was found and all the way back East towards highway 57 the boy told the authorities that him and his sister split up. She walked back to the dad's car and he wanted to go see his mom. Yeah. So they like they basically got in a fight. Like, well, I want to go see mom. Well, I'm going to go back to dad. Okay, she's not found until 2 a.m. December 25th, 26th. Oh my gosh. She is found unconscious, hypothermia, next to a barbed water, barb wire fence on the south side of West Magic Road. Mostly covered in snow, barely visible. She was down to a coat, a black shirt, and her pajama pants and snow boots. She didn't, for some reason, she didn't undress like the boy did. Yeah. So they weren't being, they weren't able to get medics down there for two more hours, which she was pronounced dead by the St. Luke's River Medical Center at 4.15. Gosh. So charges were pressed for 10 years to life in prison for Robert. If he got sentenced, and that is why he was in prison, the mother didn't get charged for anything. Okay. Which, nothing. I mean, I I feel like she could have done something, too. You know, I feel like just to blame the father in this is kind of bullshit. I don't know. I'm kind of... He let the kids get out of the car in the freezing cold, got the car unstuck, and didn't go check on them. Okay. From the sounds of it, the mother didn't even have a car. Yes, but according um, to him, he called her at 11 to 12 and said, hey, will you go get the kids? And she said she was on her way to go get him and then didn't call for another two hours asking why they didn't show up. But she didn't even have a car. Why would she say she was going to get them? Apparently, according to him, he thought that she did have a car and was on her way. Okay. So I'm torn on that. Okay. Charges include manslaughter for his 11-year-old daughter and neglect for his 12-year-old son. He spent 10 months in jail awaiting his fate in courts. He was then released with a not guilty sentence, but he's living with the guilt and that has to be the worst punishment of all. I mean, digging into this case, it got me a lot. As a parent, you want to do the best for your kids and he didn't want to keep him from his, the kids from his mom on Christmas, which ultimately cost his daughter's life. I can't even imagine the guilt that he feels. Like, well, and you know they were divorced. It could have been in the divorce papers too. They that you know 
he has to let them see him and there's probably already like the guilt it sounds like the son at least was always like well you're keeping us from her or something like that he obviously wanted to go to his mom's okay but here's the problem for me as a parent you still don't let your kids okay. walk in the snow like that it's, it's still freezing it's cold. still cold but this is true you don't do that i mean i feel bad for him the guilt has to be eating him but the car was getting unstuck. They could have waited in the car another 15 minutes till it got unstuck. Okay. Yep. 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 Well, I would have understood that. You know, I mean, it even took the ambulance two hours to get to her. So, yeah, I can imagine that the court would have understood. But, I mean, I don't I don't know exactly. Oh. I mean, people are different. They, they think different, too. I don't know. This one has really got me. I just, I'm just like, what? The thing is, too, is what about the mom like okay she didn't have a car she wasn't living with anyone she didn't have neighbors or anything that could help her go look for her apparently her friend was with her and her friend is the one that called the police at 7 p.m so if her friends with her her friend doesn't have a car too they can't be out looking as well maybe her car was snowed in because the weather is so bad that you shouldn't even be driving on the roads so anyway But, and then, you know, this tragedy happened and then he was also accused of murdering those two girls when obviously he had a solid alibi because he was in jail. So my question is, why did Frank lie about his confession? Um, Why does Frank lie about everything? Why is Frank an asshole? (laughs) And why would he state in court that, you know, that was true? Was it just to boost his job status or... Did he potentially end up murdering those two girls? Being at an undercover cop, he could have been there with the two girls at those different times. And if they ran in the same scene, maybe it was one that he was working in an undercover thing for. Yeah, I was going to say, especially if there is some sort of gang or drug type thing going on here, it could be like a whole 21 Drum Street situation where the guy... Is like undercover with them. So, and then what about Gabriella's ex-boyfriend who had a red vehicle? It was not stated that it was a red Impala. I think I might have said that before. It wasn't. Was it Candy Apple? It said it was a. That was very specifically stated. Red vehicle. Was it a Chevy Impala? And could he possibly have known both these girls? So, oh, and like I've already said this, but it's in my notes again. Um, recently new evidence has come to light. The two cases are indeed connected. They had determined with forensic evidence that it was the same bullet casing. It was the bullet casing. There we go. That was shot from the same gun on both these girls. So here's the thing too. Do we have a serial killer? And is it, this person is still out there. Could there be more that actually connects to this case? So Weber County investigators are now revisiting the case in as of 2017, hoping that something new will stand out. Okay. Yes. You ever seen that movie? I don't know why this is just making me think of it. That movie, Brigham City? No. Okay. There's a movie called Brigham City about like this brutal murder that took place in Brigham City once. You should probably watch it. What? How do I not know this? I don't know why you don't know this. Yeah, it's called Brigham City, and it's all about Brigham City, because, you know, nothing ever happens in Brigham City. Oh, of course not. Fucking Mormonville. Especially back then. And then, you know, I'm trying to remember the movie. It's been a while. I think it was like a beauty queen or someone was murdered. And they're like, what? Okay. Nobody gets murdered in Brigham City. Okay, I'm going to have to look at that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I'm going to have to look into that. 
So um, the investigators have now started this case as as it has happened today. They are re-interviewing all the witnesses. They are re-examining all the evidence um, according to the Weaver County Sheriff's Department. They're combing through all the evidence and hoping that DNA testing will provide some more answers. So what's making them so interested and focused on this case now, like that happened in the 80s? Has something, I mean, is it just like the cold case department thinks they have leads, so they're redoing it? Or? I think so. And I think, you know, now that they know, like, okay, so it says right in here, maybe we have a witness on one case and a witness on the other, and we can tie those two together and start piecing together a bigger picture. And so now we can see more of the puzzle. So instead of just being two cold cases, we might be able to solve these. Yeah. Because, I mean, 82 is years before I was born. Yeah. I mean, they've sold solved uh, cold cases that have been 40, 50 years old now. Yeah. Thanks to DNA, you know, and th- thanks to all these things. So they might be able to solve this. Which would be... I mean, incredible. Every cold case solved is incredible. You know, letting someone rest at peace. Exactly. Well, and their families too. So, and also, this is interesting. The department recently set, sent two of the homicide detectives to Austin, Texas to follow up on the lead um, that they have. This lead is not saying that it is Gabrielle's ex-boyfriend or not, but considering he's in Texas and he's under parole and stuff under there. Maybe they said that maybe they will have a few persons of interest in the future, but no one is an official suspect yet. Interesting. Right? Well, I mean, her ex-boyfriend is down there, so that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it for sure is very, very interesting. And I mean, just um, Gabriella's sister said that she's just so thankful that the detectives are still searching for answers, even after decades after his sister, her sister's murder. Mm-hmm. Which, which, wow, you know, yeah. I mean, like I said before, I, I feel like a lot of these cold cases just get dropped and you kind of have to keep pushing. And it's amazing that now... After years, we finally have this technology, and we might be able to put these two girls and their killer to justice. Yeah. So apparently, so this is very recent. Um, This was a recent update, and it said according to a search warrant affidavit um, that was filed by the Second District Court Attorneys in December of, so this was last year, December, so not 2019, because it's not. 2018 sheriff's investigators who are working with Harrison police department have been busy over the past three months interviewing and re-interviewing and collecting DNA. Harrison. Okay. So, um, Harrison detectives are also taking advantage of forensic technology that wasn't available in 1982 and they are, Re, like I said, re-interviewing everyone who was associated with the victims more than three decades ago. So, I mean, that's hard. Um, you know, memories get kind of fuzzy after a while. But with these two, they might be able to 
put pieces together and figure out what happened to these two girls, especially if they strongly believe that they were acquaintances in some way or another. One hard thing about cold cases, though, is that, I mean, people's memories aren't always accurate. Yeah. And so it's like they could very vividly and certainly remember it happening. But it never did. And it didn't, or it was slightly different than they remember. Yeah. So they could hear something and think and go, oh, yeah, that's what I saw. And so then they picture it because they heard it. Yeah. Even though what they saw was actually something different. So. Especially, what is it, 40 years after. Yeah, exactly. So they were both also seen, you know, in this Candy Apple Red 1963 Chevy Impala. They have both witnesses that state that. I mean, that is a very, like, good description of a car. (laughs) And they said that they believe it was factory painted over with white over it. They're looking for the car so that they can DNA test the trunk. They say that the people that own the car obviously won't be in trouble. They just would like to test the trunk so that they can uh, identify possible blood in the trunk. Yeah. So here is the history of the suspicious Impala. In August 1982, Tina and Gabrielle were both seen in it before their deaths. Shortly after their murders, the Impala was allegedly painted, turning it white. The vehicle was later purchased by, they just give initials apparently, RML and BL. The vehicle was later sold. They don't know who bought it. They would like to speak with the owner since there. Um, they said that the Impala should have signs that it was formerly painted candy apple. When it also may not be white either. Someone may have re-repainted it. Who knows what color it is now. Isn't, I mean, isn't painting a car relatively expensive? Yes. So they're definitely, I mean, yeah. Well, and if it was repainted over um, the factory candy apple red, it sh- should still be there like underneath oh yeah so and i mean that car's older so you should be able to tell like okay this was repainted yeah um but they believe that the they painted the candy wrapper red impala because it stuck out like a sore thumb and it you know there was rumors of this candy red apple being involved in these girls murders so they still believe that it could be on the road somewhere today it just might be painted over so one of the theories lies, the answer lies with the ex-boyfriend, especially if the ex-boyfriend, so there, it sounds like to me that they looked into him or still are looking into him. Yeah. So one theory I have is that it is that undercover cop, because why would you try to pin it on someone else? Okay. And then being an undercover cop, you should be able to have access to stuff like if someone is in jail. So why in the world would you pin this on someone and then claim that he, you know, wasn't in jail when obviously he was? I'm, I'm very, very, very confused about that. That's valid. Yeah. So, and I, I wonder if this undercover PI was the one that was driving the Rampala. And if he was, was in this acquaintance circle. And I wonder if this undercover PI is actually a kill- serial killer and has killed other girls. I don't know. I feel like more PIs are probably serial killers than we want them to be. I believe I believe that too. Because you could just hide so much stuff and get away with it. Yeah. <laughs> so another thing, they have not found the gun. They know that the gun from testing is was shot by the same gun but 
they have not found that gun too. But obviously these girls knew their killer. They got in the same car with them willingly and they were both shot in the same gun. So obviously they both knew whoever it was that killed them and they were both comfortable getting in the car together. Yeah. So what do you think happened? Yeah, that all definitely makes me lean towards the PI. Like, because they also have a good like way of making people trust them and mm-hmm. they would get around and know people and that's pretty suspicious. And you could have a pretty solid well. So back then too, I believe that I believe that now we are more open to the fact that there are crooked cops. Yeah. There are good ones that do their damn job and they are fantastic about it. And we praise those and we love those cops. But back then too, if you were a cop, you just trusted them. And I mean, if someone showed you a badge and was like, oh, hey, you know, come here. Um, I'm going to take care of you. I'm a cop. Don't worry about it. I mean, that is very, that is very, as a young girl, you could be trusting me like, oh, okay, because that stuff didn't happen. Now you kind of have to be wary. Yeah. Yeah. That's just. So I theory the uh, answer lies with what with who did this to the two girls are a that owner of that red Chevy Impala? Yeah, I theorize this. The girls knew their killer as to as they got in the same car with him and didn't even fight it. And obviously, they were acquaintances. And I can't get it out of my head. I believe also that it is the undercover PI. He deliberately lied without checking his facts or basis. Knowing, I mean, this he deliberately lied on the stand, cannot be trusted. And you went ahead and just said that, oh, well, this person said this to me. And, but obviously not because he was in jail. He had a freaking solid ass alibi. Yeah, like obviously he didn't break out of jail to just go do that twice. Yeah, I mean, it could be to boost his career status and just, you know, throw someone under the bus, but I believe it was something more sinister. I cannot get that out of my head. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for listening. And if any of you out there have any theories on this, we would love to hear them. Yes, we would. And that is, you can send those to uh, crime theories podcast at gmail.com. Yes, yes, you may. And you may also follow us on, I think we got our Instagram going finally. Crime Theories Pod. Yay. And I don't think we have a Twitter or Facebook yet, but we'll get on it. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, do we want to try our keep fucking going thing? Keep. Keep. Keep fucking fucking going. We are so bad at that. Keep fucking going. Yeah. We'll work on that. (laughs) Till next time. Yay.